Christ, okay? Union with Christ. Um, this is, uh, I think, uh, I feel that when I look at historical theology, like I'm talking about like different church denomination traditions, this is where I think the Reformed tradition is actually pretty rich uh, with this, is about the, the theme of union with Christ. I think this is a theme that is, is not only Reformed, I think it's biblical, but even others outside of Reformed faith sometimes do note uh, with that, okay? So today we're going to be looking at the theme is union with Christ, okay? What are we looking at as our topic? Union of Christ, okay? Uh, so today I just want to uh, make an observation because if we're looking thus far in Ephesians, uh, I've been itching to explain this. Um, because if you notice, there's a preposition with the word in that's often in reference to Christ. Even when we looked at thus far, thus far we've gone all the way up to verses uh, 14. So next week we'll pick up verses 15. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be all one shot, verses 15 to 23. Probably not, knowing how the pace of my preaching. Uh, which is actually going to be focusing on the prayer of Paul uh, for the church, which also has implication how we pray and how we should live our life like. In light of the truth, all those truths that we've learned about what uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done the last few weeks should have impl implication, should impact the way we live, okay? It shouldn't be that we sin more, but actually it should be a powerful motivation to obey Him and to love others, which actually chapter 3 to 6 of this book, or chapter 4 to 6, is going to really build up upon. But looking at this, I want to note some observation from what we saw earlier in verses 3 to 14. I just want to make some observation that something is so simple that we could easily pass it without discovering how rich it is. If you look with me in verses 3, it says, this begins the section that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what's the next phrase does it say? You guys can fill in the blank. After it says, in the heavenly places, in what? Christ, okay? So notice it's in Christ. Say it with me. In Christ. Then if you look with me, scrolling down, a little bit down further, in verses 7, the first two words is what? For most of your English translation, it is what? In Him, okay? And this Him, I think, is talking about Christ, because the pronoun later on is His blood, which is namely Christ, okay? So in Christ, in Him, and then if you go down again, with me to verses 9, it says, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed, fill in the blank, in Him, okay? And then if you look in verses 10, with an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, okay? Uh, things in heaven and things on earth, and then in Him, okay? So you see a lot of this in Him, Look again in verses 12. Again, we're not looking at the whole thing. We've explained this the last few weeks, right? Uh, but I really want to zoom in with the word in Him and in Christ. Because you see this again in verses 12 in Christ. Verses 13 in Him. Uh, twice actually in verses 13. Okay. Uh, so what is going on here? What is going on here is I think it's showing the union with Christ. And I think this is a really rich theme. Okay. This is a very rich. In fact, I think this is one of those foundations for other things that God has done. All these things, if you notice, what the Father's accomplished is always through the vehicle of who? Us being in Christ, right? Or in Him. Uh, what the Holy Spirit does in our life, being sealed, all the things that Mr. Burns summarized, right? And even shared his testimony. Was that all possible because of what? Because of our relations in Christ, okay? So today we're going to be looking at really this theme, okay? This theme throughout the New Testament. Again, this theme throughout the New Testament. And we're going to be answering four questions. How many questions? Four, four questions, okay? If you're taking notes, uh, we're, we're be, uh, expanding this to show just the richness of what does it mean to a uh, union with Christ. Oh, so these are the four questions. 
today, if you're taking notes, is number one, what are the terms used to describe union of Christ? Point number one is, what are the terms used to describe union of Christ? We've seen two, right? In Him, in Christ, that kind of thing. So point number one is, what are the terms used to describe union of Christ? What are the terms used to describe union of Christ? That's question number one. If you're taking notes, uh, question number two is, what is the nature of the believer's union with Christ? What is the nature of the believer's union with Christ? We're going to go deeper. What does this mean? What, what does it do? Okay. What is it about? Okay. What is the nature of the believer's union with Christ? Uh, question number three is, how is this union established and enjoyed? Okay. By the way, I'm going to review this again. I know today's point is a little longer um, in terms of a question. Question number three is, how is this union established and enjoyed? Okay, how is this union established and enjoyed? How is this union established and enjoyed? Then question number four, what are the fruitful consequences of this union? What are the fruitful consequences of this union? Okay, am I going too fast? Okay, what are the fruitful consequences of this union? I'm not going to repeat these four questions just for, you know, for those taking notes. I realize today's questions or, or today's four points is a little longer. Okay, question number one is what are the terms used to describe union with Christ? What are the terms used to describe union with Christ? Question number two, what is the nature of the believer's union with Christ? What is the nature of the believer's union with Christ? What is the nature of the unions, of believers union with Christ? Uh, then question number three. Uh, question number three. How is this union established and enjoyed? How is this union established and enjoyed? Okay. How is this union established and enjoyed? And then finally, what are the fruitful consequences of this union? What are the fruitful consequences of this union? These are going to be the four points. I hope you guys seen thus far as we've gone over this year just with the, th the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, Paul uses a lot of words that are really loaded in a good way. In a sense that it's really rich. And he's, he might just give one term, but that term is actually capturing uh, a lot of concept, a deeper concept of grace. If you guys remember in our study, even one of the reasons why we're going so places, uh, so, so slow of a pace, is also as well when we see the word for instance, redemption. Is that a rich word? How much he loves us? Yeah, what does that show? God is purchased from the slavery of what? Being enslaved to sin, right? And, and Satan, that kind of thing, okay? We've looked at, for instance, also as well, the word adoption. Is that a rich word? If you understand, how does adoption work back then? And then to see how rich what God has done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to adopt us, right? So in the same way, the theme in Christ, even though it's shorthand, yet it repeats a lot. And I think it's worthy to consider, what, what is this? Union with Christ that we have, okay? So I want to begin with definition, okay? Uh, a definition. Now I'm going to be quoting a Reformed Baptist uh, theologian, okay? Uh, named Roger Whale, okay? He says, To be united to Christ means being united with Him in the whole scope of His redemptive work. That is, we're identifying with Him in His redemptive work, okay? Uh, we are crucified with Him. We're dead with Him. We're buried with Him. We're raised with Him, and we're reigning with Him. Okay, let me say this real quick. We're crucified. We're crucified with Him. We're dead with Him. We're buried with Him. We're raised with Him, and we're reigning with Him. And, of course, faith is the bond that unites us to Christ, okay? 
so there's a sense where the Bible describes that we are identifying with Christ. That we also, His life becomes our life. Okay? Uh, his life becomes our life. There's in some sense. Now, I'm going to unpack this, okay? I want to make it clear. I'm not saying we're Christ, okay? Because later on we'll talk about the nature of it. But there's some sense where we identify with Christ and that there we are one with Christ. That we have a relationship with Christ, okay? And the relationship with Christ is one that's a deep one also as well. Uh, as we go over this, I think we'll see this more, uh, more clarity. But I think at least we start with just at least an operating definition. So let's go with point number one. What are the terms used to describe union with Christ? Then when we look at the New Testament, uh, bringing this up so that when, even in your own Bible reading, when you see this term, you'll be like, okay, I, I know this union of Christ makes this possible, but what is it? You know, what is the whole, uh, what is the whole big picture whenever it says in Christ? What should be registering in our mind when we hear this being used, okay? So question number one, what are the terms used to describe union of Christ? Again, we're looking at this so that when you read your own Bible in the New Testament, sometimes you'll see this phrase and then you realize, Oh, okay, this is what it's being registered. What is this whole deep concept of what is going on? So you don't just pass over and say, okay, it's boring in Christ. What does it mean? Nothing. Okay, I just move on, okay? Uh, and by the way, I feel like in my own life, the more I read the Bible, the more I know, the more I ask more questions, okay? Uh, the more questions, the more I know, the more I ask more questions. And the more uh, I know also as well, the more I realize everything that I think might be so easy passed over, I'm not just passing it over. I'm just asking also as well, wait, what is going on here? Uh, in terms of paper was scarce back then, you think of, uh, of paper was really expensive, okay? Uh, much more than today's world, we could buy what? A ring of what? 500 paper, just like that. Nothing, okay? Uh, unless it's toilet paper because of coronavirus scare. But anyway, that's another time, another sermon, okay? Um, but at the same time, you see, in light of this, why did in the economy of words of trying to keep everything straight. Why would Paul, why would these writers in Scripture be very intentional with the term? And I feel it sometimes pay great dividends in looking at terms that I often would easily miss. If it wasn't for translating, I ask, what's going on? Uh, then realize sometimes digging is like, wow, you discover gold, okay? You discover, wow, I'm so glad I asked further questions. And I think that's true, perhaps in your own life, reading the Word of God. Is it not? Okay. So here are the six terms. There's six terms used to describe union of Christ, okay? It's important to know this so that when you read this, you, you bring the teaching of the union of Christ to bear in the context, okay? The most obvious one is in Christ, okay? The word, most obvious one in Christ. If you look at Ephesians earlier, remember, it sees, we've seen various times it says in Christ. By the way, Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul, uses this term 153 times in the New Testament. How many times? 153 times. Which, in light of its scale, would you say that's probably important? Yes, okay. Uh, so being used as term in Christ is used 153 times to describe a believer's whole person being spiritually joined to Christ, okay? Let's look at an example of this, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. So if you're in Ephesians, you turn left, which is the book of Galatians. You turn another left, is 2 Corinthians. And you turn one more left, you're now in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What chapter? 15, okay. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22. You guys are in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22. Uh, we're looking at this as a sample of what's going on, okay? Or its usage. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. 
Adam is, in the Old Testament, is revealed that he's the first created human. First created man. And in being the first man, we know that all of us have taken what? Our sinful nature. I remember when I was a young, when I actually wasn't even a believer, when I was reading the Bible, I felt like, whoa, you know, you start from the beginning, it's like, why would Adam die and therefore all of us have to suffer from the sin? And someone told me, I thought it was a really profound point, it's like, oh, do you think you could have done better? I said, yeah, maybe. It's like, well, if you could have done better, God could have easily had you there, <laughs> right? Then I thought a little bit, I was like, oh, maybe our sinful nature, uh, we probably have more in common than we realize, okay? Uh, so, in light of, yet at the same time, in Christ, there is death. But notice in Christ, now we're made alive, okay? Notice the term in Christ, okay? So there's some kind of union we have with Christ that now gives us what? Eternal life. And I would even say spiritual life also as well. Even right now, you could have a deep spiritual life. Even now, we'll cover the theme of deadness, spiritual deadness, uh, when we get to Ephesians 2 in two weeks from now or, or more, very likely more, okay? So we see this as a term uh, in Christ. Turn with me also as well. I just want to look again the theme of how it's used elsewhere. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Turn with me to Second Corinthians five seventeen. So if you're in First Corinthians, you turn to the next book over Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse seventeen. Chapter five, verse seventeen. It says, "Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creature. The old passed away." Behold, new things have come. Okay? Verses 17, uh, even what Mr. Burns shared with Sermon Reflection, right? That 20 years ago, or no, 40 years, not 20 years ago. I got saved 20 years ago. Uh, 40 years ago, okay? Uh, 40 years ago, uh, Mr. Burns got saved. And notice it says here what? Once you have been born again, you're now a new creation. I remember you myself. Not that you're perfect when you first trust in Christ, but that moment finally dawning. That, oh, I'm a sinner. If the guilt is heavy. But then discover, wait, wait, wait. He really, this is really a free grace? That He really died for me to save me for my sins? That, that, that I don't have to suffer eternity? That this is how much He loved me? That He took the punishment? And then understanding more of what happened on the cross and how much suffering that made me whoa. That guilt was new. And that was the beginning of a heart change, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some sins we drop right away when, once we become Christian. And there's some sin, even as Christian, we struggle to remind us of our weakness and mm-hmm. our need for God, okay? And to work on those. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, man, cussing, like, all the time. I remember back then I wanted to be a rapper, wanted to be a rapper, right? Writing for the poetry uh, magazine for high school. Having all these things. And then some of the uh, editors or fellow students contact, hey, this is so good. But you cannot have the title of your poem, Beginning with F words. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll change it to something else, okay? We like it so much, but can we just change your titles? Like, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, and then they figure out, and, you know, they change it, all that, okay? But all of this is to say, of course, that changed once I became a believer. Just dropped like that as a new creation, okay? Now, that doesn't mean, as a Christian, you don't struggle. Some of us do. Some things, right? You, just, you meet some that become a believer. Right away, they become what? Some of people could just drop just like that once they get saved. But some people, when they get saved, it's still a constant struggle, something they watch out for. But while we have some things new, we could just drop some things we struggle with. Yet at the same time, there's definitely a new newness as we see when we're in Christ. The other term to describe union of Christ, maybe this is a more vivid analogy, is branches and the vine. Okay? There's another term that shows the union of Christ. Our deep relationship with Christ is uh, the branch and the vine. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. 
Uh, from this point on, I think some of it will be much more vivid. I think it's much more of an illustration to show how, how, uh, how closer we are uh, with that, okay? By the way, uh, I did mess up in writing this. I know six terms. The other, uh, we could just say five, okay? Uh, second uh, uh, language used to describe our union of Christ is branches and the vine. If you're in John chapter 15, verses 4 to 5, this is context. Uh, the night before Christ is going to die, and he's teaching the believers, saying, you know what, like, this is what I'm going to do for you, and this is also, I'm looking beyond my death, and also resurrection, of, uh, also God will give, and, uh, and Jesus Christ saying, I will also send the Holy Spirit to you, to guide you even as believers before my second coming, which by the way, today, believers still have that, right, the Spirit working in us, guiding us, comforting us, convicting us, leading us, teaching us, showing us, all these things, okay? Uh, so here we see, he talks about our relationship with him. Verses 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of, in, uh, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you abide in me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Our union is Christ is described here with believers. that Describing we are the branch and Christ is the vine. Okay? You see this in the first part of verse 5. Okay? And, and by the way, branches need the vine. Does it not? Okay? If it's cut, it starts withering and dying away. Okay? Notice Jesus here teaches that union with Christ is the thing that causes us to bear much fruit. Okay? And spiritual fruit we see, for instance, uh, even last time. We talk about is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit includes what? Love, joy, and all those godly virtues and characteristics. But it's not that we do this ourselves. Listen, if you're a Christian, if you live a holy life, I actually think understanding grace actually makes us... Because what's the thing that sometimes when we do? What do we do when we accomplish something? We're really prideful, yes? Mm-hmm. We easily look down on someone. But if you understand that the reason why you change, the reason why you are a different person is because of grace. You're tied to union of Christ. Do you see how practical this is? Yeah, you might change and you could thank God. You could acknowledge change. But also, even with someone else that's struggling, you don't look down upon them. Because why? You realize anything change that you have is the cause of what? God's grace working in you. As you're abiding closer, He's changing you. So there's no place... For ungodly judgment, okay? Ungodly self-righteousness pride, okay? So you see the practical implication of this. Because we're tied with this. If I could even mention, uh, I hope this is okay to mention Mr. Burton. Uh, whenever I read this verse now, ever since there was a conversation one Christmas with uh, uh, Mr. Burton's mom, okay? You know, Nancy's grandmother. Um, ever since then, I've been pretty humble. I, but every time I read this verse now, I always think of what she says. Uh, she's like pro-USC, Okay? And I graduated from UCLA, okay? And she was all really proud of, you know, go Trojans, all that, okay? And then at one point, she just said, oh, you're nothing but a twig. And I was so confused. Why did you call me a twig? What did I have to do with UCLA? And she says, you know, you're a branch of University of California, right? I think that was pretty good, okay? That we are nothing more, if we realize this, in of ourselves, we are just nothing but twigs, Okay? We're nothing but twigs. Anything that we grow, any fruit that we produce, is to the degree that we are connected properly to who? To Christ, okay? That's the imagery that, that uh, Jesus draw, that it's our deep union with Christ, okay? It's not as if He needs you more than you need Him. The, other, the, the relationship is opposite of that. 
that we need Him. We are abiding in Him. We're connected with Him so deeply that then it produces love, joy, peace, okay, and, and gentleness, and all of that, okay? So I know when we say in Christ, it could be very abstract, but notice Jesus helps us out by giving us something that we could understand more. And He's speaking, by the way, the Bible is for us. He's speaking in agricultural terms, that people in a rural area could understand. And people even in urban areas with all our complexity of, of being able to look up Wikipedia, encyclopedias about how vine and the branches work. We can understand this concept deeply. Okay? The other term to describe the riches of union with Christ is also the head and body imagery. Okay? So if you're taking notes, this is our third imagery. This is the third term used to describe our union with Christ. So when you see this in the scripture, you understand, oh, you could bring the full teaching of union with Christ to bear, okay? is the head and body imagery. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4, okay? Of course, we're going to talk more about this in a few months, hopefully soon, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, Okay? By speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into Him who is ahead, even Christ. Verse 16. For whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper work of every individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay? Do you see the imagery here from this passage? Who's ahead? So it's using a body imagery. But who's the head according to verses 15 and 16? Are we the head? Is it the pastor? Is it someone that's called bishop? Is it someone that somehow have a title reverend? No, okay. Is it someone with a name that has a lot of alphabet soup after his name? No, okay. Here we see it is Christ. Okay? It is Christ. And notice this also then says we are the rest of the body. Okay. Just like the brain, our head, is the one that tells our body what to do, right? And yet also in the same way, we're the different organs of the body, okay? So we're the rest of the body. And this has actual implication for how we relate to one another in the church, okay? This will be, we'll talk more about this later uh, today and also um, when we get to Ephesians uh, 4. But there's also the imagery, uh, there's also imagery. So that's the third imagery, okay? So the first imagery is in Him, in Christ, okay? Second one is a branch in the vine imagery. Then there's a head and the body. There's a fourth imagery for union of Christ, and that's a husband and wife, okay? Yeah. Husband and wife. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and what? 32, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So up to this point, we would say, yeah, okay, we can understand that. That's natural realm of marriage. But then notice in verses 32, he goes deeper and says, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Okay, So I think uh, marriages, one of the reasons why as Christians we want to work to produce a godly marriage, right, husband and wife working together, is actually this is the way we proclaim the gospel to this world. What does love look like? What does love, the love of God, the love of Christ, of what does the love of the church for Christ looks like? And we're supposed to mirror that for the glory of God, okay? Uh, for the glory of God. I do believe there's joy and happiness in marriage, but I think if you pursue, it's one of those things, I think, if you pursue happiness, 
You don't get happiness and you don't get God. If, you, if that's your main goal, right? I also think the same thing. If your goal is only to get married, sometimes you don't have a spouse, right? You could be like controlling. You could be the one that's like, oh, I don't want to lose my spouse. And you're checking on them every moment. Or like, oh, they're going to be fit. So you're going crazy. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, this is too much. And they walk out, right? That kind of thing. So in the same way, here we see the point of that, of marriage is to mirror the relationship of the gospel of Christ and the church. Marriage is one of the most intimate relationships you can have with another person, another human being. And here in this imagery of our union with Christ, who's the husband? Who's the husband? Christ. And the bride is the church, okay? So this is another imagery. Notice all these imageries just shows how closely interconnected our relationship with Christ is, okay? Final one that we'll be looking at uh, is also in terms of what is the terms used to describe the union of Christ is the term cornerstone, okay? Ephesians 2, 20 to 21. Ephesians 2, 20 to 21. says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself became the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So in this imagery, Christ is what? The cornerstone? And we're the rest of the building. And foundations is important, is it not? Okay? And the foundation is Christ. And we are everything else built upon the church, okay? The church is the whole building in this instance, okay? Um, so for the sake of time, uh, there's, you know, there's some more cornerstone imagery. But for the sake of time, we're going to go to question number two. So these are the terms. I'm, I'm bringing this up. Is, again, this is something practical. So when you're reading the Word of God yourself, when you see this, or if you're teaching, then you could also bring the doctrine or the teaching of the union of Christ to bear to show even more grace of what's involved, okay? So what is the nature of the union of Christ? I want to begin by say, talking about the nature of the union of Christ by saying what it is not. Have you discovered sometimes when you, we talk about deep things, sometimes talking about deep concepts, it's hard to explain fully, and sometimes the best way to explain it is what is not. True or not, right? Uh, what it is not. Um, so negatively, there's three things union of Christ is not. First and foremost, when we, we're talking about union of Christ, that does not mean you become a God, okay? That does not mean you become a God. Uh, some people could look at it and say, oh, if we're united with Christ, does that mean we become God ourselves? No, the Bible is very clear there's only one God, okay? And that all human beings are what? Creatures. That is, you've been created, okay? You have a beginning point. So point number one it is union. Uh, with Christ does not mean you become God. Remember, we're always creatures and God is always the eternal creator, okay? Negatively, what it is not, also as well, it is a union. It is not a union where belie uh, believers cease being individuals, okay? So this union with Christ does not mean, therefore, oh, there's no such thing as individuals in the church, okay? Uh, do not use this as an abusive thing to start, start a cult and say, hey, we're all, what? One, therefore, we mean... That you're not any individual at all anymore, okay? Uh, there's still individual responsibilities taught in Scripture, and spiritual growth is still an individual responsibility, okay? Negatively, what it is not also is, thirdly, it is not, it is not a union shared like a group of students, okay? You know, sometimes you go to school, there's people that you have in common because of commonality of education, or class. So it's more than that, okay? It is more than just a mere spirit, uh, a merely physical uh, affinity of something, okay? I think it's much more than that, okay? So positively, what is it? I think there's six aspects, okay? 
It is first and foremost a spiritual union, okay? It is a spiritual union first and foremost. Turn with me to 1 John 4.13 again. We're looking at point number two. What is the nature of a believer's union of Christ? We're describing a little bit more uh, so that eventually we bring application out from this, okay? Uh, it is a spiritual union. If you guys turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, okay? 1 John 4, 13. You guys could turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, okay? 1 John 4, 13. This is written by John. By the way, this theme of union of Christ is not only by Paul. It's a theme throughout different uh, writers of Scripture. John, who was one of the early followers of Jesus Christ, who's an apostle and a disciple of Jesus during his earthly life. This is what he says. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Okay, So it's tied with the fact that it's spiritual. How do we know this? It's spiritual in the sense that the spirit himself resides and work in us. That we're given the spirit also as well. Okay, So it's spiritual in the truest sense of the word. Not just spiritual in the sense of like, oh, it's concerning about God. It's a subject is about God. But also the Holy Spirit resides in us also as well. And his spirit is also reinforcing. It's like almost like the Velcro or, or super glue for even our relationship with Christ. As we covered uh, last week, right? When we went over about the sealing of the spirit. Secondly, it's a mystical union, okay? Not everything can be uh, uh, explained in a pure mechanic or physical sense, okay? Um, it's, uh, we say it's mystical in the sense that there's some mystery of how we're united. Again, not everything is totally mysterious. There's something revealed that it's, relation, it's our relations to Christ, right? There's uh, language used to describe it. So I don't want to say it's totally globally. You cannot know anything about it. But there's still some sense of mystery, right? By the way, in every subject, every area of area life, right? Human endeavor, there's always an aspect of mystery still, yes? Right? In every area, even the area of science, okay? There's things we could understand, but there's some things we also realize, oh, you know, uh, one of the things that, man, I love homeschooling my daughters now, is I feel like everything you learn as a kid, like I'm relearning again, but now, thinking more deeper as an adult, right? Even as we're going over the body, going through different cells, even when you finally break it down to everything else, you're like, it, it actually leads to more wonder, Right? It's just like, wow. Even the sense of eyes, right? The eyes, there's, you know, I know there's certain sensors in there, right? There's things that pick up light and, and different colors of light and, uh, and, and, and colors and dark. And yet, when you go even more microscopically, more even more into details, it leaves you more with amazement. Yeah, I know these rods and cones are involved, but when you're even going deeper, like, wow, how does this still work? This is so amazing, okay? Uh, so in the same way, there's a sense of mystery with our union with Christ. But mystery doesn't mean it's not true, okay? Uh, it is a mystical union in the sense that it can't be explained sheerly from physics or mechanical description uh, with that. And there's some part we don't fully understand or know. Thirdly, it's a living union, okay? It's a living union. It is a living union. Galatians 2.20. So if you're in Ephesians, the previous book is Galatians, okay? You guys could turn with me to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Victor, just so I could catch my breath, would you be able to re read Galatians 2.20 in big board verse? <clears throat> I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up to me. Yeah, so notice the theme of that being in Christ, you are living, okay? Uh, so there is a sense where it is a living union, okay? 
And there's also a sense we could even say it's an organic union. And what I mean by that is a union that has unity and it grows, okay? Just like organic, um, at least in the biological sense, is what something's living. But it's also not just living, but it's also a unit, right? And it's also growing. And we see this in scripture. When we saw earlier in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, remember the imagery of the body, right? And the body's being built up, okay? Body's being built up, okay? So it's not just you're united with Christ, but you're also growing. It's not just saying, oh, okay, I'm united with Christ. I'm just hitch, and that's it. But it's also, you're hitch, yes, but you're also connected, and you're also growing. You're producing fruit of the Spirit in your life, okay? And I know today, to world, we often ask, what's the purpose of life? And I know sometimes when I meet with young people, talking about the purpose of life, and I go to scriptures, they say, yeah, I already know that. I already know that. But what's my purpose in life? Is it, yeah, okay, we, you know, there, sometimes we could talk about the flares, the fashions, or, or, or personas, or other people's image of us. But I think part of, if we say we really follow God to say we want to live out His purpose, part of it is also going by even His terms of describing things first. And one of the things you see here is actually that our purpose is to grow. And part of growing is to love others more. To show love and to show the love of God. Okay? Uh, I think is the greatest purpose of all. Okay? If I only live for others, that's actually very hard because you discover people are very sinful and it's hard to love very... The pe- by the way, the people that need the most help sometimes are sometimes the most difficult people to love in the first place, okay? Maybe that's sometimes the reason why they are lonely or they are going through issues and there's no one there and they're not resolving things, okay? But it's not enough. It's frustrating. But I think if you know you're living for God's love first, that He loves you, and therefore you love others, that always gives you spiritual strength, okay, to point people to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's one of the most meaningful things is to live for the purpose, not just life here on earth now, but also for eternity. But that means also everything now I get to enjoy. Life is a living color, okay, of all the everyday, yes, the very earthly experience, but there's also something more I see in the world. Waking up each morning as a believer is also realizing that, wow, everything here is also hints of eternity, okay, of the new heaven. By the way, the Bible says we don't just only stay in heaven, we'll come back to a new earth, okay? A world that's even one day in heaven, when we go back down to a new earth, we just see this now, okay? It's like, you guys ever go on YouTube and you see like old videos? Uh, is the uh, is the um, graphics pretty good or pretty bad? Let's just say you watch something from 15 years ago. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And then you watch, and I think that's a little hint of what? 1080 or I don't know what it is now, 4D, right? Or whatever, right? 1080, whatever. 4D, heaven. And that's a glimpse of this. But it's also you're living even right now. You're growing in Christ. You're experiencing that right now. And also as well to point others to heaven too. Knowing the world is also very dangerous and also very, what, sin-corrupted, okay? It is point number five in terms of describing this union is also, it's a personal union, okay? You're not united with Christ just because your parents go to church. You're not united with Christ just because you have a car that says, member of true Chinese with Christ, okay? I know some church like to have bumper stickers where it says, follow me to, you know, True Chinese Lions Church. I'm glad we don't do this because I know some of us could work on sanctifying sanctification when we drive, yes? You know, someone cut us off, you give them the finger and you drive, you cut them off, and it says over there, follow me to 
True Chinese Alliance Church. They're like, oh man, like please don't, okay? Uh, or, or please do, but you know, please don't come and you know, blaspheme because of our sin, okay? But it is a personal un- uh, union of Christ. May we be connected to Christ individually. It's an indissoluble uh, union. That is, it can't be broken. Because Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, turn with me to Romans 8, 35 to 39, it shows us this captivating, this powerful love of Christ. This powerful union that we have is experiencing His love. And could we be separated from His love? According to scriptures, we cannot be separated. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness or pearl, or sword, just as it is written. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. That is the Apostle Paul saying, hey, I'm doing all these suffering so you can know the love of God. Okay? This doesn't mean there won't be no suffering. Okay, Let me preach on this a little bit. We will suffer. But I think the suffering is like a sun. Right? Sun comes, weeds will die. But planted seeds will what? Water by the word of God will grow, okay? Trials will grow. The heat of life and tribulation will, if you're truly connected with Christ, it will cause you to grow bearing the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Let's read on. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. You see that word in union in Christ again? In Christ. Jesus, our Lord. There's a glorious love of Christ that's being described. And they're saying that because of our union with Christ, it's indissolvable, right? You will not be separated from Christ. You might struggle in your day-to-day walk, but I believe a true believer, loved by God, the Father, in Christ, will also be disciplined, okay? The mark of a true believer is not that a believer will not sin, okay? I love sometimes when I evangelize, someone tells me, you know what? You don't know how bad the church is. And by the way, normally when I evangelize, I don't tell I'm a pastor because why? I don't want people to be polite just because I'm a pastor. Right? Then, you know, they want to say Christianity is terrible and everything else. And then there's a pastor who's job. Like, oh, okay, I'm not going to say anything bad or whatever. Right? Or have a wrong presupposition of I'm, I'm just power tripping. Okay? When we evangelize, sometimes people say to me, like, you don't even know, Jimmy. Like Christians and churches are very, very horrible. And I say what? Oh, yeah, I know. And they're like, no, you don't know. It's like, no, I know, okay? I know people's life in the church, okay? But the true mark of a believer is not that believers will not sin. I know believers will sin because how do I know? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch, okay? I'm a vile sinner saved by the grace of God. And I know the power of sin and the struggle of sin even right now, okay? Uh, With all of that, okay? And yet all of this is say the true mark of a believer is that the believer somewhere down the road will repent and turn back to God and say, I will fight this sin. I will give this up, sin up. And it, it's going to be a daily battle, okay? The mark of a true believer is turning back to God with sin. To forsake that sin and turning to Him. And that battle is a daily battle. In light of all this, how is this union established? Oh man, the time, okay? Uh, how is this union established is our third question, okay? Our third question is, how is this union established? We see from Scripture, it is by the Holy Spirit. If you are still with me in Romans, Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So you see the involvement of the Spirit 
where we are in Christ, okay? is transferring us away from the law of sin and death, but now into His grace in Christ, okay? It's also through faith. This is our human responsibility part now. Ephesians 3.17, if you guys could turn with me to Ephesians 3.17. So on one hand, it's this two-sided same coin. On the one side, it is the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean you don't have no responsibility. Our human responsibility is we need to have faith. And faith, in terms of Greek, means basically trust, okay? Trusting Him. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, okay? So it talks about our union with Christ. Notice it says Christ may dwell in your hearts. How is this possible? It's through faith. Okay? And then the verb rooted there, going back to Jesus' motif or imagery, all right? the vine and the branch. Okay, We're rooted in Christ. So in light of all this, we want to ask the next, uh, last question, the remaining time, is what are the fruitful consequences of this union? Here, this is where the application follows. Okay? Why are we going over three questions that's so much about what Christ has done? Is I think the Christian life is all, if we're going to really be doing things not by God's grace, not by our own power, we need to understand first what God has done for us, how much He loves us, and therefore knowing all that, then we say, oh, I joyfully will live this out. Okay? So, fourth question uh, we're answering is what are the fruitful consequences of this union? What are the fruitful consequences of this union? Number one, as we saw last time, Ephesians 1.5 shows we're adopted in Him. We need to realize we're truly a child of God, a son of God. I know in this room, in this size, even this size, in this broken world that we live in, in a world that society is really broken with family and parents and all that, sometimes the most comforting thing, even if we have parents that weren't there or were missing or terrible parents or even abusive thing. Realize that you're loved by God so much like He is your spiritual Father. Okay? You're united in Him means you're adopted. So realize, have that comfort. Be comforted and know that you're loved. The other thing is we can have fellowship with Him. It's the basis of our union with Christ that we can have communion with Christ. Okay? Uh, by the way, union with Christ, even when your worst of days as a believer and your worst sin, are you still united with Christ? Yes. In your best of days as a Christian, when you look at your life, are you still united with Christ? Yes. Our union with Christ is objective. By the way, our union with Christ is different from our communion with Christ. Actually, say this after me. Our union with Christ is distinct from our communion with Christ. What I mean by communion with Christ, I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper like what we did last week. What I mean is the day-to-day relationship with God. It goes up and down, Yes. Someday we read God's word, someday we don't. Some days we pray, someday we don't. Someday we get really angry in the morning and we're angry at church. And someday we, we, you know, we're, we're all, all over, okay? That's our day-to-day. But the basis for that, the foundation for us to be able to have a relationship in terms of a daily communion with God, talking to Him, praying to Him, Him speaking to us, Him guiding us, him, us basking in His love, us loving Him, all of that communion is possible because of our union with Christ, Okay? And that union of Christ is accomplished by the work of God. We're grafted in, okay, with Him. So in light of this, we can have fellowship with Him, okay? We can have fellowship with Him, okay? Don't see reading the Word of God as a chore, but see it as a great privilege, okay? I think I shared with you guys before that in my life, I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm by nature night owls. Anyone here a uh, early bird? Okay, Victor, okay. That's good. Anyone here is a by nature night owl? Okay. 
Any of you guys, neither of those? <laughs> okay, that's okay too, okay? <laughs> so uh, in light of all that, okay, I started doing every morning waking up, reading God's word first, okay? And man, what a difference it makes. I love reading at night. I always say this. I love reading at night. You know why? Your day could be horrible. It could be shot up. You could sin horribly. All these bad things could have happened to you. People could be mean to you. Your boss, your co everyone else. But you always end well. Why? You go to God, confess your sin. You see His love for you. You say, oh man, Lord God, I've sinned against you. Lord God, will you ever forgive me still? And then you see, whoa, He still forgive me. You pray. 10, 15 minutes later, you feel that, wow, the forgiveness, the sweet sense. And you sleep like a baby, okay? Isn't it so ironic? Uh, we say sleep like a baby, but baby have a hard time sleeping, right? And then we, yeah, anyways. But anyways, going back on with that. We have fellowship with God, okay? We have fellowship with God. We will be transformed, okay? We will be transformed. We will be like Him, okay? Turn with me Second 2 Corinthians 3.18, okay? You will be changed. It will change you for the better, okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18, 2 Corinthians 3.18 This is what God's word says. But we with all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. Okay, That means we will be changed. And I know I say this all the time. The word, the Greek word for transform is different from conform. Conform means you're changed because of ex external factors. Maybe you don't say bad words because you come here and you say, oh, it's church. It's God's people. Okay, uh, we're, Pastor Jimmy is going to say something like cuss or something like that, okay? That's conform. Transform is this. It's changed from the inside out, okay? The imagery I like to use all the time is what? Butterflies, okay? I was teaching like two years ago, homeschooling with my daughters, teaching butterfly lessons. Man, my daughter, the one that loves the most is Abigail because her favorite pet is caterpillars, Okay. And I was showing the video of, of, you know, she was like really into the cocoon, you know, the four different stages, right? The egg, larva, all that. And the video, I was, when I got to the point of the, the, uh, of the chrysalis or cocoon, right? When they transform to a butterfly. You know what happens inside? You guys ever wonder what happens inside? That little cocoon or everything else? Well, this program I was watching, this educational thing, they decided to cut it up. And they discover, hey, hey, where did it go? It's nothing. It's just juice. It turns into a whole, like a green mesh, okay? It totally, I used to think, oh, it's in there, just spin some things, or I don't know, whatever, right? But it actually turns into a whole juice, and all, the, in other words, there's a ch total change from the inside mm. out, okay? Same thing, true spiritual change is one from God, where it's changed from the inside out. Now, outwardly, you might say two individuals might say, oh, they don't drink, or, or not drink, uh, drink is okay. Uh, they're uh, drunkard. They're not drunk anymore. One is doing outside, outside pressures. Like, oh, you know what? People would think badly of me. But the other person is doing it because he loves God. He knows the love of God. Then he loves them back and there's a change from inside out. He's not just saying, oh, I'm doing this only when other people are seeing. He wants to do it generally because he loves God, okay? He loves God so much, he desires to do this. He's not begrudgingly doing this, okay? And that's a change from the inside out. If you're connected with Christ, you will grow. You will be changed, Okay? In light of this also as well, I think the, another thing is we will have a community, okay? And that community is the church. Remember, we're all part connected to the head. We're part of church, okay? You know what? I think it is something that we need to realize that the church is also one of the privilege of our union with Christ. Have you realized a lot of the relations we have, we didn't pick it, true or not, okay? But yet we should still love them, true or not. You didn't pick the siblings you have, okay? Some of us might want different siblings, whatever, hopefully not, okay? But you love the sibling as just as they are, okay? 
we sing to God, come just as you are, and then we, 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 you know, we need to accept that also as well. We accept who our parents are, even though with all their trials and everything else as Christians, we realize that. With siblings, with our jobs even, with our co-workers. But then sometimes when we come to church, man, we can have picky preferences, okay? Again, we need to pick a church that's Bible teaching. In the last 20 years of being in this church, I feel the most important thing is what the Word of God is being taught. Because I would say the church changes every 5, 10 years. Seeing people actually grow in loving Christ. Okay, I know a lot of people here are 6A, they're not here. But at the same time, seeing people change, not just only physically the people, but also seeing people change is the most amazing thing. But you know what? I think we need to have that mentality too, that this is the church is what we have, the community. We're one of the organ. Remember, part of the imagery of the union of Christ is we're organic. Part of organic is we're connected with other organs and we are also alive and growing. Okay? So part of it is the church needs you. Okay? Not in a self-centered, narcissistic way, but we also need others also as well. Okay? We need, and seeing that also as well, this I think also has implication, not just individualism. You know, we're in a country that produced what? Cowboys and a lot of individualism. But also there's a sense with this theme, seeing there's in individuals who are connected to Christ, also mean there's a corporate community sense also as well. So it stirs to view the church differently. Okay? The reason why I love the church ultimately is not because the church is awesome. It's not because the church is big. Has there been other churches that are bigger that ask, hey, would you like to be a pastor here? Yeah, they have been. You could ask Pastor Andrew. Shepherd's Conference sometimes is the most dangerous thing because people come and say, you know what? Hey, would you like to come to Hayward? You know, if you come to this ministry, there's 120 people. It's like, oh, okay. You know, part of me is like, no, I love small churches. Anyways, go back on. We, we, we do this because of Christ. Because of how much Christ loves us, okay? The church is imperfect. And by the way, this has implication. Same thing also as well. I, in the same thing like marriage, right? If you go the way you pick your church is the way you pick marriage, oh man, God help you. You look for someone pretty. Will there always be someone prettier than your spouse? Okay? You know, uh, I say no because, you know, my wife's listening to this, okay? But, you know, is there anyone smarter? Yes, Okay. Is there anyone more funnier? Yes. Is there someone that's going to laugh at your joke more? Yes. All of this. But you stay because what? You love that person. Because God has put you there. Same thing in the church. I also think the biggest thing that helped my marriage is what? Loving the church as they are. Not what you want it to be, but as they are. Right? Loving them and all of that. So in the same way we have union with Christ means also as well the privilege of being able to even exercise your spiritual gift as one body connected to head of Christ. All this being possible because Christ came. He died for us. He didn't just die for us, but He wants to live in our hearts in union with Him. All we need to do is put our faith in Him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, God, we pray, Lord, that You help us, Lord, to be connected with You with the objective union of Christ and flowing from there, our communion of Christ. Lord, thank you, Lord, for just your word and just the richness of this theme. Help us, Lord, in light of this, be drawn more to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you yet, work in their heart to put their trust in you, to be saved and to be united with Christ. Thank you. May your word not go back, not come back void, but do its work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.